Welcome to the PG Daily. This season is dedicated to financially empowering the residents of Prince George's County. Join our host, Heath Carelock, as he sits down with several financial experts to discuss ways for you to find money, make money, and better understand money. Get ready to be empowered. Today's guest is Patricia Davis. Let's let's look at your disposition towards people you work with. And there's some listeners who want to do what you do, um, not just from the personal financial lens, but from the actual mentoring lens, counseling lens, coaching lens and such. Um, how do you keep yourself from judging a client? How do you hold back when they're saying something that makes you kind of irritable and kind of uh, ricochets off of your conscience like that's not something I would do and yet you work with them in a positive manner to help them see where they need to get to how do you hold it in my style is not to be negative ever um, and in my family I am known for having what my sister calls pretty little words it may be something that that somebody else would have screamed and shouted about, but that is just not something I would do. I will say, well, wait a minute, let's take a look at this, and you tell me whether you think that's the the best thing to do in that situation. So I would never look down on a, a person, judge them, but rather talk to them about alternatives that might help them look at the situation differently. Wonderful. Can you give us at least five sound rules of financial (laughs) judgment? Of financial management? Yeah. The, The first thing I tell people that I think is most important is to understand your own financial value system. What does money mean to you? What do you want it to do for you? Unless you understand that, you will be helter-skelter about so that's the, the first way you one. think what about money. What do you money. want money to do for you? No, what is your own value? Yes. How do you value money? Another one is how does your partner value money? Because if you're connected to somebody else, it's important that the two of you at least complement each other in terms of your money values. They don't have to be identical, but they do have to be complementary, compatible. It would be impossible for an alcoholic and a teetotaler to get married or to have a life together successfully. So it's important for both of you to understand that. Another, that was number two, a third one, is to develop a detailed spending plan. That's the only way I know to operate. And my husband and I have operated with one for our entire married life. And the first element in our spending plan has always been savings. When we got married, he was a graduate student and and I was working, then we flipped it. But I got paid every Friday and we saved $10 a week every Friday. That was all we could afford. And as we made more money, we saved more money. But we always had a budget, and we put down the income and the expenses. That's how we kept from going broke. Because if we had nothing, 
then something just had to to wait. And that's so commonsensical. And one of the ways I trained myself to save, besides just saving, there was a time in my life where I lived overseas and was paid $200 a month. And I still wound up to come back from that overseas trip with $200 in cash. Um, and that was in Vietnam. But I guess what I'm getting at is when I've really started working a, a real American-sized job, um, that I, I I didn't even have a savings account in my own. And so I had to walk myself through opening a savings account and taking these steps. And uh, I, I think where I'm going with this is what I negotiated with myself. You don't know how to save. So uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do the one, two, three, four, five challenge. And I saved $123.45 every time I got paid. And that made it fun because all I had to do is, um, because I didn't have the job, send it directly to a savings account. I made myself responsible to pay myself first, Mm -hmm. amongst other things like tithing or giving to the church. Um, And so I would pay myself one, two, three, four, five, not look back. And I kept doing that month after or paycheck after paycheck. And uh, that became really effective. Um, One of the things that I try to tell professionals, young professionals and students who are looking to become professionals is that you can map out from 19 to 65 years old, which are kind of your earning years anyway, um, how many times over that span that you're going to get paid? Most people get paid. Yeah, people get paid once a week. Some people get paid once a month. Some people get, most people get paid twice a month. Um, And so let's just take that as an assumption that you're going to get paid twice a month. And let's just assume you never miss a job. You never miss uh, a a A paycheck. Yeah, for for those years worth of duration. Um, From 19 to 28, you're probably fumbling around a little bit. You may not have a career focus, but by 28, you have like 40, uh, 37 years uh, to really hone in on your career. So let's use those 37 years. And let's take those 37 years and say you get 26 paychecks a year for that duration of time. And just map out like how many paychecks you get and put a cost average on how much money it will take to support you and your climb. And then you can see over the course of your lifetime, the value of a paycheck if you know that most people make anywhere from 68 that whatever the median american income is most some people make above it especially if they have an IT career if they're a doctor a lawyer of course there are loans that they have to get in that duration um, what are some of your tricks of the trade when you do visioning with people not just planning but you give them a vision for how things are going to be in their lives because that's just one that i use and in terms of savings, I used the one, two, three, four, five, uh, which was very convenient. And you can make up a lot of ground on saving that way. But what are some of the tricks for you that you do for visioning and helping people see their future? Well, an actual vision board is one. And we take magazines and newspapers and and whatever else they have that's pictorial. And actually, I buy um, that poster board at the dollar store and give them a poster and say cut out pictures 
of things that represent things you want to have at some point down in the future, when you're 60, 70, whatever age you want to define. And there's no value judgment about what you put on your vision board, a boat, a, a yacht, a car, an airplane. You know, one young man I can remember had a person in a very expensive-looking business suit and had, I don't know if you were in the session yesterday when I mentioned this, he had pictures of three women on his vision board. And I said, who are those women? And he said, those were his wives. Hmm. And I reminded him that in this country, Utah notwithstanding, we usually don't have but one at a time. But I try to talk to people about envisioning themselves years in the future. You see some older person sitting at the end of a country road on the porch, rocking, and the person looks very comfortable. And you say, you go up to them and ask them if you could talk to them for a minute, and you ask them, what did they do, if they don't mind telling you, that allowed them to live this comfortably and just look like the world was their oyster. Mm. And then that person may tell you some things. But imagine yourself being that person sitting on the porch. What are you going to say to the younger you? This is what I did. Mm. There's so much between that and now. (laughs) A long time for you between then and now. But you got to get started. And I tell people, you've got to educate yourself. And that falls on you. If the school system's not doing it, anybody alive knows you need money to live. And you must know just by looking around you that some people have more than others. And curiosity says, how did they do that? When I wanted to run my first marathon, I did research on how to run your, train for your first marathon. People run marathons all the time, so there must be a way to make this happen. Bingo. I got an article on how to train for your first marathon and mapped out 12 weeks of training. That's what it said. Wow. Very, very nice. Very, very astute there with the vision board. Um, What should people do if they suddenly lose their job? Oh, boy. That's a big one. That's a big one. The first thing you need to do if you lose your job is to stop all non-essential spending. Non-essential. The second thing is to bring your family together and explain the new reality. I know of a person whose wife did not want the children to know the father had lost his job, so he could not talk about that around the house Um, and could not let them know that things had changed. You need to file for unemployment insurance. You need to check with your employer to see whether there are any employer benefits you might be eligible for. You need to talk to your creditors. First of all, I'm sorry, you need to develop a plan once you find out what monies you will have coming in, your unemployment insurance and any other benefits from the union or from your employer, you then see how much you have coming in. You then have to put together a spending plan to see what you can afford, and it's a possibility you can't afford 
to pay all of the expenses that you had been paying. So now may be the time to talk to your creditors. So you've talked to your family, you've talked to your creditors, you've got a spending plan, you've, you've applied for insurance compensation, and you've stopped your non-essential spending. Okay. So non-essential spending is cut out. Are there any steps after that? Well, you might try to find some employment. Right. Your main job is gone, but there are a whole host of other things you can do to make money. It, yeah. it, it You have to take a look and ask yourself, do I have things people would pay me to do? You might be a great cook. You might... I know a lady who dog walked because she loved animals. So that's what she did for a while. You can be a, a census taker. You can do all sorts of things to make some money. And that's what we talk about in terms of maximizing income and that progression of planning, envisioning, of savings, of maximizing income, effective spending and borrowing habits, how to protect your money, and how to seek for opportunity and moments of entrepreneurship and uh, and or some type of good or service development. So some people can make things, yes. knit, quilt, that type of thing. Cook. Code. All kinds of cook. things. Mm-hmm. Um, just find yourself useful in leveraging your talents. Um, what is your proudest moment in, in being an author? Seeing my first book. Yeah. With my name on it. How long did it take you to write your first book? Actually, I started taking notes from the various people, situations I was interacting in. And somebody, I would tell these stories about some of the people with no no names, of course. And people would say, oh, you should write a book. You should write a book. Right. So I thought about that and just wrote notes and put it in a folder. And then... Summer came, and it was my that's my favorite time to run. I love running in the warm weather, and I had to have two foot surgeries. And my doctor wouldn't do both feet at the same time, so he did one foot and then the other foot and it a month later. Your time off. So I had to be off mm-hmm. that summer, and I said, rather than drive my husband crazy because I can't run. I'm going to write that book. Great moment, great moments come with wounds. So I yeah. spent the summer writing this document and by September I had this word document but had no idea what to do with it. Mm. So then I decided to try to figure out how do you publish, how do you get an ISBN and all this stuff and my husband said you've done what you know how to do. You need to find somebody who knows how to take it from here. And I encountered a, a person who put me in touch with a guy who did took it the rest of the way. That's awesome. And I was very, very proud. Did you go on a speaking tour? No, I did um, some book signings. Book signings, okay. And then contacted everybody I knew. Because there's some authors, I'm sure, or people who are likely to become authors who are listening in. And that's a really big jump to go from taking notes, scribbling notes on a napkin, uh, scribbling notes on the back of a, a loose leaf sheet of paper or a church program or just some type of thing you picked up and sitting down and organizing them into a Word document or a voice recorder or whatever it may be and even taking things from emails you've written or 
other contacts that you've written to make it interesting. And I, I think, you know, I've viewed a few of your books and you have these insets at times where you offer further in-depth conversation, articulation of things. You tell stories. Uh, I, I definitely appreciate you um, from the standpoint of someone who has produced something uh, multiple times, uh, books that celebrate family. And, and call on and draw from your mother's sayings. Uh, I was most touched by your, your book on Mimi Says, of course, and I asked you to, you know, put a copy in the center, the Financial Empowerment Center, uh, on display, and you did that, and I was very pleased. And I, I find myself telling your story once, twice a week, or every other week, or something like that, uh, because I, I think it's important. So I really want to thank you for being on set, for sharing, um, for spending a better part of your lifetime focused on how to help others get to where they can achieve and find more excellence um, in their devotion. So I, I appreciate you. And uh, folks, we are again joined by Mrs. Patricia Davis, author of Going Broke is No Joke. And uh, a couple other books like Mimi Says and The Sandwich Generation. Money Secrets for the Sandwich Generation, yeah. squeezed in the financial middle. And the first book is Mimi, Money, and Me, 101 Realities About Money Daddy Never Taught Me But Mama Always Knew. All right. And with that, we thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded at Prince George's Community Radio located on the campus of Prince George's Community College. The music for the podcast has been provided by David Smalls, and the PG Daily is executively produced by David Smalls. Join us next time for more financial empowerment.